Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. If you were lucky enough to hear our next guest at the ACA online conference this year, then you'll understand that Dr. Caitlin McGregor is a dynamic and very knowledgeable speaker. Her presentation on red flags and complicated pregnancies was a real highlight. And I wanted to share just part of her presentation with our podcast listeners today. Of course, for those of you who didn't attend the conference, you can still contact the ACA and purchase access to the recordings that include not only Caitlin's presentations, but a whole range of outstanding information for many different chiropractors and professionals on the care of the female patient. Now, just a little bit about Caitlin. She's a Geelong-based chiropractor, a community leader in the care of pregnancy and women's health. She's a 2005 RMIT graduate and has a wealth of experience working as a chiropractor, educator, and professional birth advocate. She's presented extensively to midwives, chiropractors, and pregnancy professionals in both hospital and community settings. Caitlin, along with her husband, Andrew, leads a thriving family chiropractic practice in Geelong, but she has also spent the last decade in a collaborative care team with private midwives at the birth house. She's passionate about the value of effective collaboration, continuity of care models, and clinical excellence in caring for the pregnant patient. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome to the ACA podcast. Hi, it is so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, look, your presentation at the ACA conference was fantastic, and I really got a lot out of that. So I thought for those who missed out, uh, might get an opportunity just to get a bit of a snippet of it. Um, Perhaps before we get into that side of things, tell us a little bit about how your practice journey evolved, and in particular, how you became particularly involved in pregnancy-based practice. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. It, it was sort of by accident, a wonderful accident. When I when I got into chiropractic, I came from a sports background and really thought aspiring through university that I would probably move into working in a sports space. Um, but sure enough, late in my university um, journey, I met my husband, who's also a chiropractor, Andrew. I'm sure some of you know. And um, it wasn't soon after graduating that I actually fell pregnant with our first baby, Violet. Um, and you know, as a parent, it's the typical going off on, on a, an adventure of learning. Um, and as you speak to lots of, of female chiropractors who've had kids, you get pregnant and then all these pregnant people start manifesting in your practice. So it was a little bit of, um, of, of, a, of a simple start, but then what kind of unfolded from that, especially being in a regional centre, was this real uh, obvious need for uh, people having really solid skills in that pregnancy space to support the system. And I really do, it's, it's something I feel passionate about. And I know that we spoke about in um, on the, the national conference weekend is holding the skills that you really are supporting 
the system to bring its best out for women. So I think one of the things I really observe and see chiropractors at the moment stepping into is um, all the things that might go right. So, you know, building skills on how to promote a natural birth or, you know, five great exercises to, you know, get your pelvis ready for birth, not to take anything away from those things because they are all awesome. I kind of put them in the childbirth education sphere. Um, but I think there's this beautiful opportunity for us uh, in our in our skills, in our in our skills as chiropractors to be uh, being real leaders in identifying when not just things are going right, but when things are not going not going great. And if you want to be a hero in your community um, or a champion for pregnant women, um, or certainly respected in a collaborative sense by the maternity sector, really supporting women when you know, to identify when things are not going right, um, that can be really, really powerful. So it was a really cool opportunity to connect in with other chiropractors and share some info and hope to sharpen up the skills in the red flags and complex cases sphere. That's a really great and um sensible introduction i mean as you said you know you, it's one thing to be the expert when things are going well but uh, to really know when they're not and what to do is so absolutely essential so let's jump into that now um bleeding obviously this is something that's very common both during and after pregnancy um what should the chiropractor do uh, in this situation yeah, I think one of the, you, know, you hit the nail on the head, it's it's quite common, you know, one in four women would be thought to experience some sort of bleeding in their pregnancy. So the big thing, I guess, is if a woman shares with you that she's pregnant um, in a consulting space that um, and that she's bleeding, that not to panic because, you know, it may be completely normal. But I would say just as a routine, um, any time that that's shared with you, it would be sensible to be referring her off to her maternity care provider. The, the magic space for us, I guess, is identifying um, at where that triage should take place. So if it was, for example, um, a light, small bleed, you know, before 10 weeks um, gestation, we could think of it's more than likely an implantation bleed if it's lasting, you know, just a small volume of blood over a couple of days. Um, she doesn't seem otherwise unwell with that discomfort then or that bleeding sorry um then more than likely it's it's normal but that's not for you to decide much better for someone else to decide that and that would be a conversation for her GP whereas if it was a volume of blood later in the pregnancy um if it was associated with any other symptomatology like a sense of contraction like you know abdominal pain or 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 discharge or fever or or headache, um, you know, we're talking a much more emergent requirement for referral. So I think more um, the general rule is if there's bleeding, then we need to be leading her to be chatting with someone else about that. But um, the, the place where you need to be coming in is whom exactly um, and how urgently are we going to be connecting in with those people? And I guess in these situations, um, you know, young, especially first time mums might be very anxious uh, here. And yeah. I know we're going to talk a little bit about mental health a bit further down the track. Yes. But in these situations, are you having conversations saying, look, it's probably this, there's no need to be concerned, but we just need to be, you know, um, cautious. So I want you to go to this next level. Are you having these conversations already? Or is it just, look, let's just get straight to the GP and get this checked further? Yeah, look, I'm having um, reassuring conversations. I tend to be on of the mindset that if bleeding is shared with me, that's kind of the cessation of the consult for that day, as in we'll be supporting her to get to where she needs to be. Um, you know, there's a possibility as well that um, bleeding at any 
say in the first trimester is probably going to be when you might have this conversation most frequently where it's not, I mean, if she's getting bleeding late in her pregnancy, she's probably not going to be heading to the chiropractor for a regular checkup. She's probably going yeah. to be pursuing um, medical or maternity support at that time. So you're really more than likely going to be dealing with this in the first try. Um, and in that instance, look, worst case scenario, that might be a miscarriage in evolution. So I don't really want to be putting an adjustment in between that bleeding and that, if that makes sense, just in yeah. a purely um, smart, sensible practice. So for me, it might be like, I'm really glad you shared that with me. Um, tell me a bit more about that. So we're gathering a bit of information, you know, and then how would you feel about us checking in? about that bleeding with the GP. Statistics like, did you know one in four women will experience a little bit of bleeding in the first trimester? It's probably absolutely fine, but I think it would be um, our you know, safest and best care for you would be to just let's go check that out a little bit further, see what the GP has to say. And then, you know, if all's cleared, we'll see you tomorrow or, you know, we catch up with you later in the day or um, it's always tricky. I'm quite run a full, a very full appointment book. So moving people around can be, um, a little tricky, but that's a really great sort of scenario where you would be like, I'll hang around at the end of the day yes. um, just so, you know, we can get that adjustment in for you if you really want it. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just sensible to be to be moving her off to see somebody else. So that's really good advice. I mean, even the, the uh, obviously people are coming to see you, one, because they're concerned and are looking for advice, but most times I guess they're really wanting to be there to get an adjustment, to get some sort of hands-on care. So um, I guess that's uh, a little bit challenging to sort of, you know, divert that, but, but you know, that sounds like such a, a sensible approach. Yeah, just lead. I really, um, I think even, and, you know, it's, it's probably a whole other podcast, but the state of the maternity system is really, um, is really stretched is, is yeah. the term I'm going to use. And so I think um, really helping to kind of triage urgency and and I if you're forming good relationships with midwives and obstetricians and GPs in your community, and again, um, back to that initial comment uh, that, you know, if you really are a champion for when things go not so well, you know, you people learn to really listen to what you have to say. Um, and that can be a real, real vehicle at times, especially in a more scenario to support that woman to access as she needs really really or that pregnant person I should say um to access the care that she really needs quickly so um I think yeah I think just you know pausing on that adjustment for that day because it, there is a you know sit, there is a reality um if you've got a someone who has a miscarriage in evolution so I've certainly in my practice seen people who um you know are aware that you know a, a fetus has passed has passed away before 10 weeks and they haven't gone down a curette pathway that they might seek out um you know some chiropractic support or the support of a Chinese medicine practitioner um would be you know quite a common approach as well there and you may see some increase in in bleeding um happening for you know in for, for a week or two for a woman. So we just want to be mindful that we're quite open and strategic about that. Uh, it's certainly what I would see in a postpartum scenario as well. If you are 
working with women who have just recently had a baby and they are still um, having blood loss, which is very normal postpartum. Um, It's a scenario that even the most gentle sort of pelvic balancing work, maybe with some blocks or even some gentle sacral adjusting with an activator or some stretching or um, some targeted soft tissue, like trigger point work, et cetera, you may, she may see a freshening up or an increase of blood loss. And that's something that I sort of really frame up and normalize if I'm approaching working with someone at that time so that they're not concerned. Um, but yeah. then also knowing where would your boundaries be on when that goes from not concerned to very concerned. So again, um, knowing normal, knowing what to expect is really important to help kind of pre-frame that to her, just like we would with any other presentation um, or any other condition in a a human really at a consent level, you know, working, what would we expect and hope from this care today? And then, yeah, when should you be in touch with me or or beyond me if something um, isn't going as we might expect? So moving on to low back pain, it's probably the most common reason that pregnant women might see a chiropractor. When does low back pain become a a potential red flag? Yeah. Um, And if you're working with pregnant people, you are going to see low back pain. Um, It's such a normal and common part of a chiropractic practice with pregnancy care. Um, I think, again, going back to what would be normal pain in a pregnant person versus what we should be concerned about. So anything where um, we've got a typical distribution of pain. So um, if you could if you could put it into a category of um, piriformis syndrome or SI problems or pelvic girdle pain or symphysis pubis dysfunction, um, if you could you know, talk about a paresthesia or leg symptomatology and be able to biomechanically or define or identify that as what you might expect in a person. And that's a really good starting point to consider whether that's in your scope of practice or not. My big rule with low back pain, is there anything else happening for her that, that we would associate with the low back pain? So does she have low back pain and bleeding or low back pain and cramping? Um, is there, you know, low back pain with fever or low back pain with headache? You know, is there anything else going on there that might, um, you know, have our attention that something might not be, might not be as we, as we would hope? Um, definitely any ascending low back pain. So, you know, a big one is ectopic pregnancy. So, you know, she's done the pregnancy test. She's found out that she's pregnant. She's still so early in gestation that she may not have had, um, you know, any, any ultrasound done or, um, or may not have chosen to have an ultrasound, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, hasn't come into contact with the system as yet. Um, but actually it's an ectopic pregnancy. One of the first symptoms and stronger symptoms could be low back pain. And, and that's a real, this is an urgent medical requirement. We need to get her to a hospital as quickly as possible. But typically you'll see that as an ascending kind of flank pain. It's very different in its pain distribution to what we would expect with a biomechanical back pain or pelvic pain presentation. Um, the other one with the ascending is also UTI or kidney issues. So we want to make sure that we're differentiating um, that. Also with an ectopic, it would be very severe and and sudden onset or an insidious onset of pain. And again, it's not just distribution, but the quality of the pain and the nature of the pain. So um, if you've got a scenario where it was contraction-like or um, a miscarriage in evolution or a preterm labour that we might be, you know, some women labour in their back. So if you've got a posterior presentation, 
and you know women have a sense of their contraction activity more posteriorly or in their in their back um, than what they might typically consider Hollywood would frame up the contractions in the anterior or in the tummy or in the abdominal wall. So, um, you know, we we really want to be considering um, the distribution and the quality. So with a contraction or a preterm labour, it's going to be intermittent in its nature, just like, um, just like a contraction strong and intermittent. So that would be a very different scenario than a mechanical mm. situation that might be right up our alley. Um, uh, and another one with that would be just as a standard fetal movement. I'm just every consultation, as soon as a mum's aware of her baby, yes. you know, like, and what's baby been up to. So it's very casual, but I'm pretty much at every consultation trying to identify where's baby at. Is yeah. there anything different to normal? Really helping her to connect in with that. But certainly if we had like a back pain presentation and any, any variation in fetal movement, she needs to go and have a checkup yeah. continually. Good advice. So another thing that's very common, of course, is um, swelling around the feet and women not fitting into their <laughs> shoes anymore. Um, yes. But this can potentially be a, a, a serious problem as well. So how do we define the difference there? Yeah, again, really early on in the pregnancy, get a baseline on what you might expect. So, you know, some women will be puffy from almost half, and I'm calling it puffy because it's very different from swelling. So um, really getting a clear sense and making notes on where your where your woman is traditionally um, puffy and we would see peripheral swelling, say legs and feet, um, especially with gravity, end of the day, heat, busy, you know, lots of identifiable reasons why she might be a little bit puffy, um, but puffiness should or swelling should always be unilateral um, and it should be gradual across the course of the pregnancy. You will see increased puffiness or swelling in extremities with increased estrogen at the end of a pregnancy. So again, that's all normal. When it's not normal is when it's sudden and it's severe. Anything that's heading towards pitting edema is a medical urgent medical, you know, emergency, get them in. That is a sign of preeclampsia. Um, obviously, if you were seeing swelling, you'd be routinely checking on blood pressure as well, just keeping an eye on that. Again, looking for preeclampsia. But the other one with swelling is any unilateral symptoms. So unilateral swelling is never normal in a pregnant person so we want to make sure that we're all over that um, making making sure that we're getting that checked out if we need to clots is an interesting one um, in terms of swelling risk and i did talk about a case in the um in at the conference and i encourage you guys to go and have a listen to that if you can get access to it um, but yeah we were in a climate with increased gestational age comorbidities um, even pharmaceutical sort of normal like people almost as the more of a normal than an exception having some pharmaceuticals on board across their pregnancy and some of them do increase clot risk so we just need to be all over that um, making sure that we are again keeping an eye on the lower limbs are really uh, are really um, just routinely you know especially through winter when they're all covered up in leggings and boots and things like that making sure that we're keeping an eye on that uh, is really really important so yeah again unilateral swelling should should be an urgent assessment by someone higher up the up the medical chain than us very good um now abdominal pain you know when is it a contraction yeah. when is it a braxton hicks and when should the chiropractor be concerned 
Yeah, yeah, totally. So again, um, if a woman's getting abdominal pain, you know, don't panic. It could be an absolute, absolutely normal part of a healthy pregnancy. But again, it's being able to differentiate between the two. So with the Braxton Hicks, one of the general rules or one of the questions that I often ask is when you're getting this abdominal pain, if you got up and walked around the room, what would happen? So with the Braxton Hicks, generally we think that they tend to quieten down so we get active and they and they reduce with a contraction the increased gravity or the pressure on the cervix you're going to see that that abdominal pain or that contraction increase not always but typically so um that's always just a good generalized question to ask again the abdominal pain is um or if this presents to your practice it's what what gestation is this woman at so if she's at 37 weeks gestation um babies you know nice and deep in the pelvic bowl and she's experiencing some contraction activity it's more than likely um, just pre-labor signs we're really happy about that it's the uterus warming up but hopefully that means that baby's you know putting some really lovely pressure down on cervix that are is promoting a, a you know a really positive birth outcome so we're not really concerned about that um, just supporting and encouraging her you know again it's probably a whole other podcast but to work with that stretch and that discomfort as being normal and okay kind of leaning into that whereas if we had that at 31 weeks um, in a preterm scenario and it was really presenting like contraction activity it would be best practice to get someone to have a look at that cervix because we need to rule out that it's not a preterm labor situation so the other sort of third party in that little Braxton versus contraction is the irritable uterus as well. So the difference between irritable uterus and contraction is purely the activity on the cervix. So, you know, women and women can experience that in the twenties, like, you know, way early in the gestation, it can get as at enough, it can be serious enough that, you know, they'll be on bed rest because it's that um, impactful to their um to their experience in their pregnancy. I would say that the evidence is a little bit um, mixed on whether she is at risk of preterm labour or not. So often people will get irritable uterus and incompetent cervix a little bit confused in that clinical picture, but someone might just have, you know, the worst time of it with an irritable uterus and it have no impact to their gestation, Where, but it could, it could be a risk factor for preterm labour. So again, if you're getting the sense that this uterus is super active um, and it's been dismissed that oh, it's just Braxton Hicks, it's just Braxton Hicks, you can really be encouraging her to, to speak with her maternity care provider to say, look, this is actually being really impactful to me. Um, and yeah, just, I, I, again, I think I spoke of another case in at the seminar of an incompetent, um, incompetent cervix where, you know, it was me nagging her to go and have that assessed and um, it wasn't, if it was just dismissed as normal. Um, and she was like, it's just your third pregnancy, the baby's low, it's fine. But actually, yeah, we had a dilating cervix and baby was born very prematurely. So I do, yeah, I do sometimes, again, advocate, make sure you can differentiate between those things um, and, and take it from there and be aware of things like round ligament pain and um, can, you know, can, can really throw a spanner in the works and being able to, di to differentiate that so get really clear on on that one and um and support her with that information very good now paresthesia i guess even from a musculoskeletal sense this is something that indicates a a, a significant problem um when can this potentially be an issue for referral though in a pregnant yeah, totally. woman 
yeah, so fluid retention and swelling can really be impactful. Carpal tunnel presentations, thoracic outlet presentation, again, probably going to come across your table um, in practice if you're working with pregnant women. Again, it's um, sudden onset nature. Um, of the paresthesia, is it unilateral in its presentation? You know, we're going back to be talking again about the clot or preeclampsia situation. Um, and really, yeah, just watching out for DBT is really important. And any distribution that doesn't follow normal um, anatomical pathways and pretty much any time where paresthesia is in the face. So um, facial paresthesia in a pregnant woman, even if she's had a migraine history, I would still pursue um, investigation of that I wouldn't be comfortable with it um, the other one with paresthesia that is more in a postpartum context is a complication of epidurals so again um, you know women are so um, you know jacked up on on pretty strong medications after they have a baby um, and they've got all sorts of changes in their you know pelvis and and lower limbs that can often feel you know their sensory experience can be a little bit um well, it's impossible to differentiate in those early days because it all feels a bit uh, down, you know, in the bottom half of their body sometimes, especially if they're post-surgical or, yeah, they've had an epidural. So, but, yeah, just watching as she's kind of emerging out of that, which might be when she presents to your practice that you haven't got a scenario where there's been complications of an epidural. So just in a postpartum check, um, or the, we have what we call a postpartum check in our practice. So um, anyone calling up, you know, um, congratulations, congratulations, you know, you've had your baby, that's awesome. Um, even if it's someone we've seen for 20 years, we'd still book them in for what we call a postpartum check so that there's some extra time to do some extra physical, one, gather some history around the birth, but definitely um, some extra phys exam opportunity and we always would do a lower limb um, reflex and sensory screening just to double check. Um, that nothing's come up from, you know, epidurals or spinal blocks through birth. Really, really common, almost more normal than abnormal in where we live. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good thing to know. Um, now, I think it's the third most common reason that uh, people see chiropractors is for headaches. And I think we're pretty good probably of differentiating, um, you know, a, a musculoskeletal versus a, a more sinister cause. But what, what particular things do we need to think of with the pregnant patient? Blood pressure, like as in get your baseline blood pressure with your pregnant women early on, be really cluing in on that. Um, obviously, you know, we've mentioned preeclampsia a few times, but it's a really common um, symptom with preeclampsia is a sudden onset headache. So if she hasn't been someone who's had headaches before, if it's not presenting as a headache that she may have had before, um, if we've got any correlation with any other symptoms, aka history of blood pressure variation in this pregnancy, swelling and edema, um, paresthesia, we're talking an urgent, an urgent medical um, support there. So yeah, dizziness, visual changes. The other one is um, just look. Uh, it's really you don't see many missed gestational diabetes in pregnancy anymore it's sort of so routinely screened um, proactively screened but yeah again occasionally you'll see an advanced gestational diabetes that's for some reason being overlooked so um, you want to make sure that you're prompt in your referral that she needs an assessment quickly um, there can be big reasons like you know it can be hormones it can be lots of things but again we don't want to leave that one to the unknown i would be referring her off for some for some check with the gp or the obstetric supports 
For sure. Now, you mentioned this uh, earlier, but perhaps let's just uh, go back and just uh, expand. Reduced fetal movement or, or as you said, changes in fetal movement. I I assume you're talking about the the possibly the you know, posterior presentation maybe or more seriously the the potential for a a stillbirth? Yeah, yeah. So we like to think that a baby's moving at, you know, 10 times an hour, which I know when I was pregnant, I wouldn't have said it was that many. Like, you know, that feels like a lot. But um, just as a general rule, as a chiropractor, if a woman breathes the word or even hints at a reduced fetal movement, I am very promptly, again, you know, it's probably a, a cessation of, of appointment and let's go and get that checked out really um, promptly. There are times where, you know, babies do have um, sleep states where they can be quiet um, and just before labour, actually, you'll see at term, you'll see a baby go quiet um, briefly for a day, almost like that fetal movement sort of slows down. And some thought around that is, you know, maybe a white tail, but baby's kind of getting ready for the big event. Um, or or um, baby is so deep in the pelvis that there's almost constraint in how and how mobile that baby may feel to the mother. Um, but you really, as a rule, yeah, any reduced fetal movement really warrants an additional checkup. Um, it's a sort of scenario that the the more prompt the referral, um, you know, the better the outcome. But we just, yeah, if you even have a hint of that, I routinely in my consults, what's baby been up to? What's baby been up to? Um, rather than can you, are you getting normal fetal movement? Because that can be very clinical. Mums don't necessarily always understand what that means. Um, so I'm really encouraging them and they're like, you know, I can feel, I reckon I've got feet up here and head down there because we just want them to get a sense of that and really connect in with that. And you should be able to pick that up as early as the early 20s um, or connect them in. But things like an anterior placenta where that feeling is really muffled or baby presentation um, can really reduce that sense. But also you will see um, obstructive reasons. So uterus shape, like a bicornate uterus or if a woman's got a fibroid or there's some sort of other obstructive constraint that she may not have that sense. It's really hard to tune in to that. But again, you would have that baseline because you would be aware of it. It's about that whole sudden change in experience of fetal movement really does warrant prompt referral um, if you can. Very good. Um, so the other thing, of course, is any signs of infection and fever. And I guess yeah. this in particular uh, postpartum uh, as well as during yeah. pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. In pregnancy, even a, um, a fever might seem very insignificant. Your mum's got a mild virus, she gets a bit of a fever, no big deal, she's going to recover, but it could be a big deal. So embryonic tissue doesn't handle um, fever very well um, or it might be a risk of something. So, yeah, I just generally would encourage her to have that checked out with the GP. Um, postpartum, if you've got a sudden onset fever, it could be a sign of retained product, which is probably a little bit more common and then we'd like to admit that's a medical, urgent medical um, referral. So she should be returning straight back into the local emergency department. I've seen taking placenta as late as the second month. Um, usually you've got a sense that something's a bit off, but, yeah, you'd be amazed how well women can work around that. Um, and you'll often see correlation with extended blood loss. So if we're going, you know, into the third and fourth week and she, she, her colour's not good, bleeding's not right, milk supply's low, and then suddenly she spikes a fever, you know, you should be thinking straight away, we've got retained product here and she needs to go straight to the hospital. 
um, mm. mostly because of of risk of postpartum hemorrhage, uh, delayed postpartum hemorrhage. So it's not just the infection itself, which can obviously be really dangerous, but the um, correlation of a postpartum delayed postpartum hemorrhage is, is a real risk and it could be a life-threatening risk. So we want to make sure that, yeah, she gets to the right place quickly. And of course, you know, um, with the changing body shape and, uh, and the impact that that has on neurology and balance, sometimes pregnant women can fall over, as can people who are not pregnant, of course, um, but trauma can be an issue in these cases. Yeah, absolutely. Again, general rule, if there's been trauma, especially any blunt trauma to the abdominal wall, we really want to be encouraging her to get checked. And what I find by a by her maternity provider, I think um, what I tend to see is the more the more babies in the house, the, the more that this can be dismissed. So, um, you know, mum's busy, she stacks it, um, she gets herself back up and she rolls along um, and she's okay for a day or two and then suddenly, you know, gets some um, some sort of non-specific pain in the low back or, you know, pelvic area. We really need to rule out that we've not got a, a hematoma or something going, something going on in there. So obviously if a woman has a, an acute trauma and she goes and gets a checkup um, immediately, but um, we'll hear about that after after the event and again that would be a reason for me to be wanting to sort of take a step back and do some extra phys exam before I put them on the table but I think um, what, what I see most common present to a chiropractic practice is that that delayed trauma where she's just rubbed it off because she you know or uh, shrugged it off sorry because she got up and she got on with it and then we're a few days down the track and suddenly she's had some light spotting or you know when we really unpack that some reduced fetal movement um, and I've seen some, sadly, some some really awful outcomes where, yeah, that's been dismissed as mild and it wasn't mild at all. So, yeah, just as a general rule, um, I would be encouraging her to have a bit of a connect in with her maternity care provider and, and have things checked out. And last one on the list, and, but really, really importantly, is, is mental health. And I guess this is certainly not just uh, maybe the anxiety of pregnancy, but also, I guess, um, you know, postnatal depression, that's a huge uh, one. How do you manage these things? When do you get that sense that this is something that just needs a bit of support from you and a conversation and a reassuring, it's okay, this is normal, as opposed to, well, look, we really need to have a chat with someone else about this? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, estimated about 15% of women experience um, depression or anxiety in pregnancy and probably even more so postpartum. I think the biggest challenge in, um, in, in private practice as a chiropractor is uh, the just sheer reality of the enormity of this space and the, like we are really undergunned with mental health support just generally in our community. Um, it can be really hard to access that care for women when they need it. So I think um, continuity of care models um, and I, I talk about that for, you know, for birth support and maternity support. But as a chiropractor, you you can be that. You can end up being that primary care person very rapidly in for a pregnant person if, you know, they just go and get their tick of approval from the GP head into the hospital system and they're seeing a different midwife each time they go for a checkup. You can be that confidant or that person that's really got that baseline that things are not going well for her or that coping's, you know, reducing or um, and never before has that been more visible than through COVID. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm very um, on the front foot 
if I see any sense of struggle, um, to to ask them how they think they're going, um, and you know, have you have you shared? Certainly, if there's any sense of um, overwhelm, if I can use that term. So before we start labeling things as um, if they were to say overtly, I'm feeling anxious, or I think I might be depressed. I'm very. Um, sort of encouraging or, or leading in getting them in touch with their GP as promptly as possible, um, initiate a mental health, you know, care plan for them, mostly because I think they can triage and funnel them into the appropriate supports as quickly, you know, as, as effectively as possible. Usually yes. we have um, many, many uh, mental health support people, um, psychologists, counsellors um, on speed dial that we can ferry people in. But the reality is everybody is at capacity at the moment. Yeah. So I have found myself um, in extreme circumstances, you know, having to send them back to the hospital because that was the only vehicle I've had at the time. And yeah. I do think um, that can be as significant and serious as someone having you know, a cardiac event in your practice where you mm. would stop and, you know, potentially even go as far as calling an ambulance if there was no other option. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just think the big thing as primary care practitioners is really seeing mental health as a serious situation in your practice that needs presence and follow-through and advocacy um, and really having the avenues in place to be confident that you can be, you know, ferrying people to the level of care that they need when required um, and following up with that. So if that was shared with me in a consult space, I would be really asking them, are you comfortable and confident to get in touch with your GP? Do you need help with that? And is it okay if I follow up with you? So I would, you know, be, say, at the cessation of my shift touching base with Mrs. Jones to make sure that she has indeed rung the GP, that she's tracking okay, um, and, yeah, yeah, making sure we're not leaving that to, you know, a high-risk situation at home because that would be awful. And that's just such great advice. And I think the... Tied in with that, that that phone call later on that afternoon or yeah. the next day, just to make sure that that's been followed through. I've had situations, not in a pregnant um, pregnancy case so much, but uh, other people where um, they've really needed to go to sort of you know get proper mental health care in a fairly urgent situation, and um, despite their keenness at that time, they may balk at it, you know, later that day or the next day. Um, and I think a phone call is not only the right thing to do as a practitioner, but I think it's just a really just good solid thing to do as a person yeah, as well. Absolutely. And I think if we're just asking permission, you know, pregnant mums and new mums, you know, they'll cry in your adjusting room. You know, like I always say when people get upset, <laughs> but don't worry, I feel quite complimented that you feel safe, that you can share exactly how you're feeling about things. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that she's, you know, falling apart. It just may be that she's finding it hard and that's the reality of par parents, you know, dad and mum, that, that that may happen in your practice if, you, if you've got good relationships with your, with your people. Um, so, but again, I think would it be okay if I connect in with you you know a little bit later and just make sure that we've got the things in place so that you feel supported um and you know and that may change shape over the course of an afternoon when when they've settled down a little bit but again I just I talk about mental health support in our practice just like you would you know see your chiropractor for your spinal health and support through your pregnancy and you would have your midwife or your obstetrician 
looking after your pregnancy and you know we need that mental health person in your corner as well to be looking after your um your mental health and well-being and just a really positive thing to have in your care team so just really normalizing that if and then if they're choosing to uptake then that's great um but yeah we, we don't want to leave it to chance that they're going to deteriorate i'm very proactive with encouraging that from the very beginning of pregnancy absolutely Caitlin, you're clearly an excellent communicator and through your experience, I'm sure you've got a vast network um, that you associate with. I'm interested to know when someone comes in their early stages of pregnancy and um, decides to have care with you and that's something that's followed through their pregnancy, are you um, in the first instance uh, connecting with their their, um, uh, their obstetrician or their GP or their midwife, or is that something that conversation you will only have if there's a problem that comes up or, a, or a, an absolute reason for the communication? Yeah, no, I, it's only done for me if there's a reason for the communication. Again, mostly because I think they're just so busy. Like these yeah. guys are so busy. And I think if we're there going, hi, you know, I'm the chiropractor, I'm here too, I'm helping. Um, sometimes I'll use the woman as a vehicle of that communication. So I'll say, would it be okay if next time you check in with your obstetrician that you share with them that we've been working with this pelvic instability and if um, if they would like to connect in with me, I'm really happy to contact them. So I really normalise with my with my pregnant person that I'm, you know, really happy to collaborate. If there's any sense of risk or complexity or anything outside what looks like a perfectly normal pregnancy, then yeah. I am. Then we would look at a letter scenario, or obviously urgent urgent wise, we would call. So we especially work very closely with the midwives in private practice, but also midwives in the public health sector like midwifery group practice program um, that where they ring the midwife I'm we would ring them from the practice so if um, and I, I think I shared this with a, a case at the at the conference as well we're literally we're on site in the practice saying this isn't right we're supporting Mrs Jones to head into emergency can do you support that you know what else is there anything else that we need to be thinking about and I'm very happy to be um, I like to contribute to the conversation but equally I let them lead like I'm really happy for them to lead I don't want to be you know the everything to that pregnant person I just want to be the chiropractor so I'm really happy to kind of bow down to the hierarchy a little bit if I can say that Um, and just yeah what does doctor such and such think about that so it's just opening that conversation as a norm Um, and I've found over time that can be a bit less abrasive for a very stretched maternity or obstetric professional who you know really only wants to deal with the allied health people when things aren't going right and they know that they can be of clinical support whereas if we're framing stuff up like I'm working with Mrs Jones to promote her you know a physiological birth experience because she really wants a natural birth but that doctor thinks that she's high risk and probably should have a booked in cesarean at 37 weeks you're probably not going to start off on the right foot so we want to make sure that we're really working out um, where that person might see us to be and and see it into that scope when we're communicating with them yeah that does so make sense in fact everything you've said this uh today has made a great deal of sense um it's such useful practical sensible down-to-earth information and uh you know i think you're a very uh earthy connected type of type of person so um so no no doubt that uh, that information is reflected 
very much in that way. Thank you so much uh, for the chat today and for um, all you do for the profession and, uh, and your help with the ACA. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And, and I really do hope that, um, yeah, some of the sharing of this information across the seminar and today just really promotes and supports chiropractors to keep working on the complex stuff and being masters of that because it is, um, it's really can be life-saving, but one, but two, it's really going to build uh, your community's confidence and your capacity to care beautifully for your pregnant mums. So go do it. <laughs> well said. Uh, I'll remind everyone listening that you can, if you enjoyed this podcast, you, you can listen to all the recordings from the ACA conference. There's a whole lot of great speakers. You'll hear um, the fantastic case histories that um, uh, Caitlin put forward and also a whole lot of other information on how to care for the female patient. It really was an outstanding conference and I would encourage you to contact the ACA and um, get some of those recordings. But that's it for me. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast.